Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Wildstorm Addiction, episode number 35, a special edition of the Culling Crossover. I'm Ben Murphy. And I'm Joe David Solis. And as I just mentioned, this is a special edition, and we'll be discussing all the titles that made up the Culling Crossover, which include Teen Titans Annual number 1, Superboy number 9, Legion Lost number 9, and Teen Titans number 9, which all lead into the new spin-off title, Ravagers number 1. I do want to remind everybody that we do spoil these comic books, so if you haven't read them yet, go read them, and then listen to us. Twice. Before and after. Um, Joe does do uh, spoiler-free reviews on the website each week when these titles come out. However, some of these he did not cover, because these don't fall into our normal Wildstorm titles. However, he did just post up Ravagers number one this week, so go check that out on our website, wildstormaddiction.com. Um, these titles were led in to this crossover by Superboy number eight, which was introducing grunge from Wildstorm universe into the new DCU comic books. Legion Lost number eight and Teen Titans number eight in April were all preludes to this calling crossover, setting up each of these titles to fall into Harvest Trap inside the Nowhere facility in the Antarctic. Uh, I do want to say that, you know, when we go through these titles tonight, we're just going to do a blow-by-blow blow overview of each book, pointing out some cool things that happened here and there that we enjoyed, and then each of us will summarize our thoughts on the books and the crossover as one big story at the end of this. Yes, and all of you will have to forgive me if I seem a little bit frazzled or fried on this podcast, because I just got back from Dallas's big anime convention called Akon, and uh, so... I am still kind of reeling from that, so <laughs> uh, hopefully I can keep on track here, though, because we do have a lot to cover, and that's obviously why we decided to do a separate podcast, which was Ben's idea. I'm not going to take credit for that, but uh, but I think it was a good idea, because, yeah, this ended up being pretty epic. Hopefully it wasn't overshadowed by Batman's Night of the Owls crossover, since it was happening the same month. I hope people uh, give this a chance. There's less titles to pick up, too, so... We'll go ahead and start with the first part, because uh, The Culling was a four-part crossover. It started in uh, the first—well, I don't know if this was the first annual of the New 52, but it was one of the first ones, uh, which is a Teen Titans annual number one, released on May 2nd, uh, written by Scott Lobdell with art and cover by Brett Booth. And um, uh, Tom DeFalco also helped with the story as well. Uh, he's been writing Legion Lost, and— um, you know, Lobdell's been writing both Superboy and Teen Titans, so those books have been heavily um, influencing each other. And uh, what was really cool, first off, about the, the Teen Titans annual is that we get Teen Titans art, uh, regular artist Brett Booth doing this, and of course it's an oversized issue, and um, it was just nice to have him on there. Um, as we'll see later, unfortunately, he wasn't on the regular issues because he, obviously he had to spend more time on this. But it was a great way to start off the crossover by having him do it. So uh, basically, this is uh, separated into uh, several parts, um, five parts to be exact. And uh, in the first chapter, you know, we kind of get, uh, even though we did have some preludes uh, happening that led up to this, we do still kind of get thrown into this a little bit. We have Red Robin introduced into uh, this place called the Colony, which is an underground uh, holding area where the culling will uh, take place. And we see a couple of the characters who are going to be later part of the Ravagers book, which is uh, the brother and sister team of Thunder and Lightning. And um, we see a character that I was actually kind of uh, wondering if it was her introduction to the New 52, which is Artemis, because she looks her design is pretty pretty much spot on for a a wonder woman villain uh by the same name even the even the distinct way that she wears her ponytail which is like a very thin uh design uh, the only difference in this one is that her hair is blonde and the artemis uh, uh, that i know her hair is kind of like brown so i was curious to see if it was her but as we'll find out later uh, there's some things that happened that pr- prove that it probably is not her. <laughs> really? I, I thought her design looked like Savant mm-hmm. from the original Wildcats, Zealot's daughter. Yeah. I, she didn't have the ponytail, I could see that. True, but it, maybe it's just because of how Brett Booth draws her. It just reminded me of her a lot. Yeah. 
Now that would have been cool, but uh, not not with the fate she meets later. Spoiler alert! But uh, <laughs> we already gave that. We're cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know they're being held deep down below. You know an Ar- an Arctic complex of nowhere. Um, yeah, obviously nowhere's the big bad covert agency that uh, created Superboy and uh, that has been stealing metahumans uh, around the world, and that's what the Teen Titans have been going after them and. That's what led them here. So, um, <laughs> so we have um, some beautiful, beautiful art by Brett Booth. I mean, the way he draws the the colony here is just amazing. I mean, later on we'll see that uh, there's some stuff. At, there's some extra stuff at the end of this book where they actually talk about the design for this place, and he literally told him, you know, just basically make it look like hell. Because <laughs> that's exactly what it looks like they're in. <laughs> and, um, but Red Robin, you know, obviously, you know, um, convinces Artemis not to, uh, not to kill him, you know, and he's, he, it's, it's his goal to rally with the troops, basically, and, and have them uh, fight against Harvest and, and this idea of, of having the culling. Uh, where basically a bunch of superhero he brings a bunch of superhero kids together and it's the survival of the fittest like we talked about before you know I consider it the hunger games for superheroes <laughs> and um, but you know him and Artemis and Thunder and Lightning you know uh, as we continue in the issue they they run across a pack of uh, wild characters that's led by this uh, Cyclops looking baddie named Fistpoint um, which you know when, when a name like that that he's not going to survive <laughs> you know <laughs> But um, Artemis obviously knows that it, you know that he's bad news, and you know smacks him down, calling him Kevin, which I assume is his real name. Which is kind of funny that uh, that they, you know, they're. I mean, this dude, you know, looks like a traditional bad guy. <laughs> you know, he's this cyborg-looking dude, and and then she calls him Kevin. <laughs> so I just thought that was kind of funny. Well, you know that they had to have been in the Nowhere facility for months or maybe even years, so. You know, these kids all kind of had to interact with one another before the culling had started. So that, that's probably why she knows them on a first-name basis, but yeah. Yeah, and it's a nice touch, too, because, yeah, it, uh, it does add that kind of kind of human side to it that, uh, yeah, we wouldn't all just start automatically calling each other by our code names. You know, I think they even touched on that in Teen Titans a little bit. So yeah, that stuff like that always makes it seem more real. But, you know, obviously with Artemis' help, they, you know, take him out and then slowly but surely, you know, Red Robin reunites with the Teen Titans, you know, joining Wonder Girl, Skitter, Kid Flash, and Bunker. Meanwhile, as a continuation from the last Superboy issue, Solstice uh, has to convince him to join forces with the Teen Titans in order to get out of their current situation. You know, like we said earlier, a lot of this um, has been building between Superboy and the Teen Titans issues and it's finally come to a head here so it's it's been really cool to see how um scott lobdell and has been uh working to get that to 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 come together and obviously here as we get into the second chapter you know we have the next group of the crossover which is legion lost which has been written by tom defalco and i'm sure at some point him and scott lobdell had to had to talk about this because i you know haven't been following legion lost the only uh interaction we had with that title is that, you know, we know the Black Razors showed up in a couple of issues very, very briefly. <laughs> but here in Chapter 2, you know, they're in the area known as the Crucible, uh, which is basically just another area that, uh, uh, in the colony, I guess. We focus on the Legion Lost team here. I forgot to mention at the beginning of the issue, they do a really simple yet effective crossover uh, strategy, which is they have all the faces of all the participating characters with their names next to them so i mean i was literally flipping them back to the first page a couple times you know trying to see who some of these legion lost people are um because he does he does a good job of of weaving their names into the story you know where they refer to each other you know here we got tyrock and timberwolf apparently that they're you know they're trapped and and tyrock can't free them and they have another character chameleon girl which i actually think i've heard of her before but she swim she swims the lava channel to see if there's a way out, and then uh, another one of the Legion Lost shows up, which actually I kind of like this character. I don't know what it is about her. She's she's kind of a simple idea. She's kind of like Swift basically from the Authority, but her name is Dawnstar. And I don't know what it is about her. I just out of all the Legion Lost, she's the only one that really caught my eye. 
And uh, it's not just because he's a hot chick with wings, but, you know. Um, <laughs> I was going to say. Was... <laughs> which I did see a lot of those this weekend. So, <laughs> Was it the rack? <laughs> At the con. <laughs> no, we'll talk about a certain rack when we get to Ravagers number one. <laughs> uh, so, side note on that one. <laughs> oh, I, I have a side note, though, before you begin. Uh, sure. the, the headshots at the beginning of each title were awesome. I, it just reminded me of old school uh, team books, you know, from the sixties and seventies. They tended to do that a lot, and I thought that was neat. And an, another quick side note: Chameleon Girl when she's swimming the lava, kind of phallic. Gonna say. <laughs> wow. <laughs> she's. And what does she turn into? A sperm whale? Is that complete that? Joke? <laughs> oh, yes. Very good. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so, you know, Dawn Star, apparently she's like a master tracker. And so she's flown the area and not found any way out. And then the resident, I guess, uh, is it the telepath? Telus? Is yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. Which apparently he he communicates through just strictly through uh, telepathy he does i mean he has a mouth but i guess he never uses it now i I don't know the story behind that but i thought it was it was a pretty neat little uh little detail about him so he can't sense the way out and then uh the character they have called gates who's this like kind of blue crow looking alien i guess uh can't find a way to teleport him out of the area so you know they're in that little scene for the most part, we get a uh, a good uh, idea of what each of the each of the Legion Lost members can do. So, uh, which I guess they're just called Legion, right? Actually, they don't call themselves Legion Lost, but whatever. <laughs> but yeah, they they mention uh, that um, that this place has thirty uh, first century technology, and obviously that's where they're from. You know, that throws them for a loop because they have no idea why that would even make sense. You know, then we pan over to a, a beautiful shot again. Just, I mean, Brett Booth is just awesome. Of Harvest, the main baddie who's orchestrating the Culling Nightmare and tells us, you know, that he brought the Legion to this time period. And he's got his lackeys, uh, Omen and Leash. <laughs> and then the first appearance of uh, Warblade in the new DCU with his new design, which looks pretty wicked. You know, I, I'm just going to throw this in there. I mean, I'm glad that they had Warblade, but especially Brett Booth doing this, I'm kind of surprised that um, he didn't throw, like, Tapestry in there or something, you know, one of his old villains that he did when he was in Wildstorm, because she totally could have just been another one that they threw in there. But that's just that's just my opinion, just my excuse to get more Wildstorm characters in this. <laughs> I'm sure they have a huge list, and they're picking and choosing. Yeah, because apparently, and I didn't, uh, I didn't, take a chance to do this before we started the uh, podcast, but uh, Brett Booth did say that if you look in the background for this issue, you will see some uh, homages to Wildstorm characters. So, like I said, unfortunately I didn't go through there and look, and I didn't really hear anybody in Clark's Bar mention anything either, so I was kind of surprised. After that, we move into the next chapter, which is the battle, (laughs) and uh, Harvest sends Leash into the colony in order to bring the Teen Titans to the Crucible to begin the culling. Uh, he only picks a certain few. He leaves behind Artemis, Thunder, and Skitter. There's a, a plot point here that uh, is delivered that uh, we haven't seen a resolution to yet. But a mysterious hand reaches out for Skitter, telling her not to be afraid, uh, calling her uh, sister. Yep. And there was... Um, our uh, buddy Titanthrope from uh, Clark's Bar is calling that he thinks this might be taboo, which I'm not sure. I mean, the the, the color scheme and the design is definitely uh, there. It'd be really cool if that's what it is, but I'm not sure if they're going to go that way. But, hey, man, I'm all for it, so I'm, I'm with you, Titan. <laughs> I'm hoping for taboo, too. <laughs> I'm with him, too. I, I agree. It's a very close match on the design, so I, I don't know who else it would be. Yeah, and I guess, you know, Skitter... You know, it'd be, it'd be interesting because Skitter doesn't really evoke that. You know, like when I first saw Skitter, I didn't think taboo. But if I look at their designs, I can see where that, that could work. So we'll see. But uh, back in the Crucible, Lee drops off the Teen Titans that he did take uh, right, in, <laughs> right in the middle of Legion Lost. So then we get a bunch of uh, versus battles. We get uh, Wonder Girl versus Timberwolf and Telus. 
and we get Solstice and Kid Flash versus Dawnstar and Gates, and we get Chameleon Girl versus Bunker, and we get Red Robin versus Tyrock, of course, the two leaders, and Supervoy versus Wildfire, which we forgot to mention, Wildfire is the other Legion Lost member, and he's another one that's pretty cool. He has a pretty epic moment later on in the crossover that we'll talk about. But, um, you know, we get some some uh, really cool uh, battles here, just, I mean, just beating the crap of each other, and some cool moments, like I love this one where, uh, I guess, Chameleon Girl turns into this dinosaur-like creature, like an alien dinosaur or something, I guess the best way to say it, and he just chomps down on um, on Bunker, and apparently Brett Booth loves dinosaurs, because I know he's always put them in his work here and there, and everywhere and even like i saw the the new comic that released gi combat you know he did the covers for that and i mean he just does an awesome rendition of dinosaurs and so this this one that he did here was just amazing i just i mean i can't gush enough i just i just love his stuff that's that's why i'm actually continuing to follow teen titans even after we're stopping this i'm not really going to follow superboy anymore but i will continue to follow teen titans as long as he's on the title yeah, I, I agree completely. I love Brett Booth from way back um, in the early Wildstorm image era. Uh, way back when he did the Kindred, you know, he even, I think he did a, in the back matter of the issues, um, they did a quick interview with him and he loved doing uh, animals. And you could you can tell with his art in this title. And he does it with Beast Boy too. So it, it's pretty cool to see that again. Yeah, I mean, he's just all-around great artist, but um, I love to see him draw Warblade. <laughs> so, um, I don't know, somebody reminded me that he did draw Warblade and the rest of Wildcats in Wildcats number zero, so I'd actually forgotten about that, because I was wondering if he had done it in the past. But um, but yeah, Warblade and Omen uh, noticed that the Teen Titans and the and Legion teams won't kill each other, so uh, Harvest sends Leech to collect the rest in order to truly start the culling. And uh, Leash picks up those left behind on the first round, and many others, including Artemis, Thunder, Terra, uh, Beast Boy, but not before using his powers to stun them all into a blind fury. Uh, and Skitter, of course, is still MIA, off with her sister, <laughs> apparently. Um, so that was pretty cool that uh, basically he mind controls them, is what I understood. And um, so then we uh, get into the next chapter, where, uh, like we said, you know, Leash dumps off the new round of children in the crucible and just i mean it's not just the two teams it's just like dozens upon dozens of other kids that they're just bringing from the different parts of the of the facility and uh the teen titans legion lost heroes decide it's time to team up of course you know you knew this uh, moment was coming <laughs> in order to calm these enraged children just to show you know just that just showed up thanks to leash and uh tyrock and telus subdue a uh Solorian human hybrid that's a victim of the hypertaxis virus, which all that is Greek to me, you know, because I don't follow Legion Lost, but I mean, I kind of understood that it's a virus from the future, that that's the whole point that they're back in time is trying to find a way to uh, defeat this. You know, and they question Harvest and whether or not, you know, he had something to do with its release in the future because Harvest keeps dropping these hints that he's from the future. And then, as we were mentioning earlier, you know, Artemis uh, unfortunately doesn't survive this uh, this encounter, and uh, she's the first casualty in the fight by uh, Fist Point. You know who she beat earlier, and uh, Red Robin wants to sink revenge against him, but realizes it's not his fault but Harvest's. So, you know, we uh, of course we get some more epic battles. We get some more cool creatures by uh, Brett Booth, <laughs> and uh, as we see Beast Boy turn into this. Another kind of dinosaur hybrid looking thing and then I love this uh, double page spread of both teams after Artemis dies they they both you know kind of side by side portraits uh, deciding to, to go after Harvest next in, in the final chapter of this issue uh, you know Bunker notices that Skitter isn't with them and then you know like we said you know they've got the montage of the teams teaming up and to subdue the other children in order to control the situation the Cushable and um Harvest calls for Omen and Warblade, his only begotten son. He refers to refers to Warblade like that, so I don't know if that's just you know kind of the figure of speech or if there really is anything to that. Uh, but he calls him to, as he says, reap the dark winds, you know, which uh, I have no idea. He's a villain, so he says epic things, and uh, 
then Harvest sends in his his Ravagers, which of course at this point, you know, has nothing to do with the title we're going to discuss later. Uh, but the Ravagers do have some familiar faces that we've seen in in the, the at least uh, Superboy and Teen Titans, as we have Warblade, Leash. Um, we have Fuji, who was introduced earlier, uh, which unfortunately he's underused in this crossover. <laughs> and we have Rose Wilson. We have, um, what's the name of the dude all in black? Like the call Evo Neo. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I forget his name. He was v- really prominent at the beginning of the Superboy series. I totally forget his name. Yeah, it'll come back here in a second. But of course, we have Omen, and we have the character, a new character named Ridge, um, who um, will later be part of the Ravagers, as we'll see. And then we have Centerpoint, and uh, some other ones here that are mentioned in the back. In fact, now that I said that, it might have his name here in the back. Because um, that is one thing that I really appreciated about this. Templar is his name. Yeah, because that's the end of the issue. And I mean, obviously, as you saw, it was a long issue, but I mean, it's an annual, and it was meant to be longer. But they really went all out here in, in the back. You know, obviously, they, they give us a, a rundown of which titles to follow to uh, to follow the culling. But they they show us all of uh, Brett Booth's original sketches for the colony and for the different... Um, the different heroes and, and villains even gives us a, a, a map layout of what the crucible looks like, where the culling happens, gives us, you know, different sketches, shows us the original ideas for harvest. And I mean, it's just, they just jam packed the end of this issue. And I really appreciated what they did here. Cause it was so cool. You know, we see the designs for some of the characters that will be in the ravagers, including Fairchild and, um, I mean, this this was just an amazing way to start this crossover. I mean, awesome art. The story was very compelling. I mean, I just don't know what else. To, <laughs> it's just a great way to start it. So I don't know if you wanted to get into talking about what we thought about the issue or just keep going or how you want to do this. So Let's just keep going right into part two of four, uh, which is Superboy number nine released on May 9th, written by Scott Lobdell and art by R.B. Silva. The title of this issue was called Lost Claws, which I put in quotes because claws for Warblade and cause for it's a lost cause. You didn't catch that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I did I did catch uh, Scott Lobdell's little sense of humor. So, <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, this issue also starts out with the headshots and, and the rundown of everybody's name just so you can keep them all in check. Uh, I am going to try to speed up things here because we have a lot of issues to go through uh but basically this issue starts out with a uh, Superboy giving a recap and by you know kind of his inner monologue and he's explaining the previous events as he teamed up with the team titans and legion loss in order to take on the ravagers uh which are the survivors of the nowhere's uh previous cullings throughout their their existence and and basically he explains that the culling is the one night each year when Harvest pits metahumans against each other uh, until only the strongest are left alive in order to serve him, uh, which is very, very reminiscent of uh, the Hunger Games, as Joe mentioned a couple episodes ago when we were talking about the culling event coming up. And then we, uh, we see uh, Warblade, uh, and he sums up the fact that the Teen Titans and Legion Loss uh, teamed up in order to take down all of the other kids um, that were in the Crucible in order to keep them from hurting one another, which was not the intention, obviously, of Harvest and his goons because they want to find more Ravagers and, and basically the people that, that win, essentially. And since uh, Warblade is talking here, you know, Superboy, he's always kind of rash. You know, he doesn't hesitate and blast Warblade with his telekinesis and cause he figures Warblade is clearly their leader. Uh, Superboy tries to melt Warblade in the lava, uh, to no avail, even though Warblade looks like he's metallic, uh, not totally like his traditional Wildstorm uh, take on him. Uh, and basically Warblade tells Superboy that he's immune to his telekinesis abilities, which is part of the reason why Harvest picked him to, go after Superboy himself. And then we move on to the the new battles, the new team-up. So Red Robin is fighting Rose Wilson, Wildfire, 
of uh, Legion Lost is fighting Ridge. Kid Flash pulls Red Robin out of the line when Rose's sword uh, goes right at his head in the nick of time. I, it almost looked like Red Robin had like disappeared or teleported or something. It it was a little confusing at first, but it was it was because uh, Kid Flash had picked him up and moved him. And you just see like a trace of a uh, Red Robin's face with a sword through it. It was pretty cool. Um, and then Rose Wilson turns her attention onto Timberwolf. Um, Red Robin has Kid Flash scour the Crucible in order to to find all the remaining kids uh, that were dropped in there, uh, including Skitter, who is still MIA from the last issue. Uh, Superboy is still uh, has his hands full with Warblade, and then uh, Dawnstar from Legion Lost uh, swoops in and takes Warblade off of Superboy's hands and drops him into the, the lava lake that's down below. Um, but not after Warblade was able to tell Superboy that he's no more special than the rest of the Ravagers. Uh, Warblade keeps working Superboy's mind. And just the whole time that Superboy was in nowhere, the nowhere facility, uh, just trying to turn him as, as being a, a pawn of Harvest, basically. And then all of a sudden, down down in this hell hellish area, um, it actually starts to snow. And everybody's kind of thrown off by that. But uh, Kid Flash was able to pick up a bunch of kids and, and drop them off with uh, Telus and Chameleon Girl. Um, which Chameleon Girl quips real quick and says that he, she thinks that uh, Kid Flash is cute. Which, I don't know why, but we'll see. <laughs> Um, There's always time for love in the in the middle of hell. So I guess so. <laughs> uh, back to Warblade, who uh, knocks Dawnstar out of the sky with a rock that he sheared off from his claws. Uh, she thought he was just messing around, but he had a plan there and, and knocked her out, um, which enables Superboy to jump back into the fight with, with him. After uh, Kid Flash gathers all the remaining kids, but he still can't find Skitter, uh, Timberwolf then goes to take down Kid Flash, which this is a really odd moment. I, I guess it has more to do with Legion Lost, but as Joe said earlier, you know we haven't really followed that title as much. But Telus knocks knocks uh, Timberwolf unconscious, um, and the reason why that he kind of went after Kid Flash, he was like, "I thought I smelled you, you know, a while ago." Um, but I guess Kid Flash has something to do with future events and, and how their world in the 31st century is so much different because of Kid Flash. Uh, they didn't go into it too much. Yeah, I think it was just set up because Kid Flash is going to have a one-shot coming out here soon. I think they're going to go more into that. So just set up for future stuff. Back to Superboy beating Warblade down. Uh, Hunter Bryce chimes in to take on Superboy. Uh, Hunter Bryce was... Uh, part of a couple that was in Superboy a couple issues back that Superboy went after to take into the nowhere facility. Um, but anyways, Warblade ends it quickly by clawing through uh, Bryce's uh, guts, basically, before he could even finish his complaint against Superboy um, by putting him and his girlfriend into the, the whole nowhere facility and, and capturing them, basically. So this... Uh, this is the second true victim that we've seen uh, during the Cullen crossover. Uh, Artemis in the first issue, and now Hunter Bryce in the second issue. Um, both of these characters, not not main characters, I guess, because, I mean, neither of them did we spend more than one issue on. So uh, Warblade continues to try to convince Superboy that he's able to kill just like he is. And uh, Dawnstar is able to knock Warblade unconscious with a rock, which I guess was... Uh, deserving since he did basically the same thing to her, and then he she tells Superboy not to believe his crap and that that he belongs with them fighting to get these kids out of Nora's grasps. Uh, Superboy and Dawnstar decide to regroup with the Titans and the Legion, but by the time they do, all of the Ravagers have fallen in defeat and they're triumphant despite feeling bad about all the children whose lives were lost during this fight. And Superboy agrees that he'll never play by Harvest's rules and, and is sorry about ever going against the Titans and kind of makes up with Red Robin. And then right at the end here, we see that Harvest decides to 
that he's had enough uh, looking in, surveilling, you know, what's going on, the fight down in the Crucible, and decides to join them within the, the Crucible itself. And that's where we end part number two. Yeah, I'll take I'll take it from here, and uh, I will try to make this one quick. So, yeah, the the first one was an annual, so you know it was kind of like <laughs> at least two or three issues. You know, I mean, it had five parts for crying out loud. So yeah. no, it was definitely longer. <laughs> yeah, but um, so in uh, Legion Lost number nine, uh, which was released on uh, May 9th, uh, written by Tom DeFalco and with art by Pete Woods. Um, we uh, move into part three of the cruci- of the Culling. You know, picks up right where um where we left off with the la- with uh, what Ben just covered and you know this is the first uh, issue of, of Legion Lost that I've read in full and um like most traditional crossovers you know this one obviously focuses more on the Legion Lost side um so that way it gives you a little bit more about these characters you know cuz you know Harvest has ordered his minions out of the Crucible because he anticipated the Titan, the, the Titans and Legion you know, having their momentary victory and coming together, and that, that was actually one one cool thing about him that uh, he kind of does that a lot, uh, anticipating what they're going to do. So it it made him a very interesting villain, and um, you know, Wonder Girl attacks before any assessment of Harvest's powers or plan has been put together, and um, you know, Telus uh, does kind of what the old authority thing did. I just realized that. It gives them all the telepathic links among the team so that way they can just think uh, to each other uh, since they're in the middle of a heated battle. They can't be uh, yelling at each other, I guess. Uh, and Tyrock determines that Harvest is protected with a force field, uh, but this doesn't stop Bunker from finding out the hard way, you know, because he, of all the people to, you know, just rush in and try to attack Harvest, it's kind of funny that it was Bunker who did it. And, um, you know, Tyrock sends Dawnstar to track down an exit, an exit point because he figures if Harvest's minions were able to make it out of the Crucible, so, so can they. And so many of them uh, leave with Dawnstar, including Gates and Bunker, in order to get the children out of the Crucible. Um, and then we have one of the Ravagers, uh, Ridge, uh, was knocked out when, Arv- when Harvest ordered them out. And so he decides to follow this round of kids out of the Crucible, since obviously his buddies left him. <laughs> you know, each take a turn at Harvest uh, to no avail, basically. And, you know, Harvest gives little bits of secret past information about each of his combatants. Um, you know, kind of showing further that uh, obviously he is from the future. He's able to look up information about some of these heroes that are long since dead, where he's from. And... Um, you know, Harvest reveals that he sent for Legion himself, and he does it by also revealing that he broke into their telepathic link. And um, so Dawnstar, meanwhile, was able to get the kids out of the Crucible, and now they're making their way up through the miles of the Nowhere facility, and they run across one of our favorites, Ketlin Fairchild. Yay! Or Caitlin. <laughs> but before she can explain to the kids about her time with Nowhere, Rose Wilson is hot on their trail and clashes with Caitlin. And this was kind of cool, this this whole encounter with them, because, you know, they're, they're basically arguing about how they used to be friends, which, I don't know, it was always a kind of tense friendship. I don't know, I don't know about you, Ben, but I, I don't, I've never had a friend of mine threaten to kill me if I got a line like she did to Caitlin early on. <laughs> yeah, they haven't seemed too buddy-buddy from all the Superboy issues they've been in. I mean, I know, I know girls, you know, get to catfight sometimes, on, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, this one, one of them has a sword, and one of them can hulk out, basically. <laughs> um, so anyway, so uh, meanwhile, Gates gets distracted by Time Bubble that he finds uh, when fighting with Bunker as they're separated from the rest of the kids. And again, like Ben was saying earlier, you know, obviously this is a Legion Lost thing. I mean, I, I get that it's probably a way for them to get home, but yeah, it's just kind of one of those things that's kind of glazed over. But back in the Crucible, uh, Harvest explains that he needs the Ravages in order to save the future. Uh, what did you think about that, Ben? I think you have something to say about that. You know, we had talked about before we got into this, I think about the last episode, that you thought it was more like the Hunger Games. And I was like, ah, I was just reading Countdown Arena, and it, it just felt a lot like that. And that's exactly what happened in Countdown Arena. You know, the main guy that was pulling in all these superheroes and pitting them against one another was basically like, hey, 
uh, I'm trying to save the future by doing this, you know, follow my lead. So hmm. that's interesting. Cause I never read that. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's definitely not a, a, a unique idea, but it's always interesting when a villain tries to explain his motives away. Um, especially here, you know, that uh, harvest explains that, um, he was the reason the Teen Titans formed together and that the Legion were pulled to the century in search of the hypertaxis virus. So he's kind of one of those, you know, like, muhaha, I've been pulling the strings all along type of villains, <laughs> you know, so, uh, which is cool. I mean, I actually was enjoying that. That that was one of the things about this that I was really, he was really hitting things, you know, that um, that you normally would think, oh, they're going to beat him this way. And, and he's already thought of that. So so that that, that to me made him an interesting villain. Um, so back in nowhere, Gates is leading the children to escape, and Caitlin's still trying to talk to Rose uh, with her fists. I mean, uh, no, they're talking. <laughs> but um, into giving up, you know, the life of serving Harvest uh, when Ridge, you know, the Ravager we were talking about earlier, uh, wax Rose during, uh, wax Rose down, and you know, frees up Caitlin and you know, join her side after hearing uh, her speech to Rose, which. Um, which I thought was kind of funny. Doesn't she tell them something like, you know, well, I always treated you with uh, with kindness or something like that. Yep. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of funny. But um, back in the Crucible, we get to the moment that I actually thought this was pretty cool. Uh, um, kind of surprised that uh, Wildfire didn't uh, make himself my favorite character just from this moment alone because it was pretty epic. But, uh, he tells tell us to, to, to wrap up Har- Harvest in his most powerful TK force field. And then Wildfire gives off his most powerful anti-energy blast, which basically what I call this is he goes Dragon Ball Z on Harvest. <laughs> you know, it's just like he calls all the energy to him and, you know, it's just this, you know, because I don't know what Wildfire is all about. Obviously, he's an energy being of some sort because his, his suit, pull, you know, pulls away and he's just energy and then it just explodes over Harvest in this, you know, almost like nuclear style blast. So it was it was a pretty epic moment. Uh, but um, just like Dragon Ball Z, you know, Harvest is still standing there afterwards. Yeah. And I just hear the Dragon Ball Z characters just like, uh, uh, it can't be. It's impossible. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> so anyway, and of course that knocks uh, Wildfire out. So that's the end of that issue. Which leads into part four of four in Teen Titans number nine, which released on May 23rd, written by Scott Lobdell. With art by Ig Guara, is that correct? Yeah. And cover by Brett Booth. And this issue basically starts right off of where the last one did in Legion Lost number 9. And Harvest has just defeated Wildfire. And he's kind of holding him up uh, by his chin and his hand and, you know, monologuing like all good baddies do. And he basically tells the remaining that their efforts are futile and that he needs them to create a better world for everyone. Uh, as if we haven't heard that before somewhere in the authority. I don't know. <laughs> people, <laughs> are al- <laughs> people are always trying to make this a better world, usually by force. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we go into Red Robin and Tyrock are devising a plan for the Titans to distract Harvest while the Legion uh, take down the Nowhere facility by destroying its central power core. So there we go into a little bit of a Star Wars theme there. Moving along to uh, Caitlin, who is leading the remaining children out of the facility in escape pods. And she actually triggers an alarm to save their remaining scientists and support staff, which is kind of funny. And I think uh, Ridge makes a remark like, why bother? You know, why do you care about those people? Which I think is kind of funny because in my mind, it's still a Star Wars reference, but it almost references... uh, Kevin Smith's clerks when they have a discussion about all the support staff in the the second Death Star, you know, going around the planet of Endor whenever it explodes and, you know, all the people, all the construction crew building it and everything. So I thought that was kind of funny as well. Yeah, so, what about them? Exactly. So Caitlin <laughs> thinks about it because, I mean, this nowhere facility is huge. It's miles deep in into the earth and there's got to be tons of people you know even just janitorial staff let alone scientists and and everything so that was pretty cool 
then we move on to uh, Dawnstar and Bunker, who uh, head down to fight Harvest while uh, Fairchild, Lightning, and Thunder remain to uh, hold off the security guards who come in in order to save the children and allow them to get out in the escape pods. Gates uh, is nowhere to be found. Apparently he's disappeared. Probably something to do with that time bubble that he found in the last issue. So more to see there, I guess. And you know, they refer to Skitter, but she still hasn't been found. And Dawnstar didn't have any trace of her body as she was going through the facility, which is tough on Bunker, who was, you know, her best friend basically. And, you know, he's conflicted and he, you know, he needs to keep fighting, but he, he doesn't want to leave Skitter not knowing where she is and if she's truly safe. Um, and then we go back down to the Crucible and, uh, this is where we go back into Harvest, and he knows that they're they're trying to flush him out by taking out the power core of the facility. And uh, Wonder Girl and Superboy team up, and basically they're trying to use her lariat against uh, Harvest, but to no avail. However, Harvest does like their uh, their efforts; that they're they're actually starting to use each other's power um, to try to take him on instead of just going at at him one by one. Next, we move on to Tyrock and the rest of the Legionnaires. Um, they're up at the Power Core, and they're ready to take it out, basically. Um, it actually looks like the, the heart of you know the old Authority's ship, the Carrier, um, with the mini-universe. Uh, mini but that's the Power Core there of the facility. Um, and then we go back to the final escape pod, and uh, Fairchild is tells us that they've gotten everybody out safely and that there's uh, definitely distrust amongst amongst the group uh, with the former Ravager Ridge and nobody really seems to trust him and they actually don't even seem to trust Fairchild leading them since uh, she used to work for Nowhere and, and they were there for many months or even years with her there. Rose Wilson and Warblade regroup and they discuss their plans to track down Caitlin and the other children who uh, escaped the facility or are currently escaping the facility. Then we go to uh, Bunker and Kid Flash team up to try their their strengths against Harvest, but Harvest reveals that each one in the group is playing basically into his hands because you know he's obviously able to see into the future or has been to the future. You know since Gates found that there was a time bubble in the facility. The Legion lost, destroying the facility, and Caitlin spreading his charges throughout the globe with the escape pods. Um, that you know, the Titans realize that he's conned them all, and that they're all being played, and and he basically knows how this whole thing is gonna play out, and that you know he even uh, facilitated the the Teen Titans coming together as a group themselves. Basically, next the Legion destroyed the power core and Gates returns in time for them to use the time bubble that he found to try and return to their own time. So basically at this point the Legion has left uh, the Crucible and the Nowhere facility. Uh, Because the power core was destroyed, the structure is falling apart around them and down in the Crucible Harvest starts to leave revealing that he's also a metahuman and that actually shocks Red Robin. He didn't even think that he was human in any kind of form. Uh, and Red Robin himself wants to pursue him, but instead they uh, they decide to get out of there before they're all crushed with the with the facility uh, closing in around them. And then finally, at the end here, Superboy and uh, Wonder Girl use their powers together, and, and basically, you know, Superboy can use his TK abilities to. Uh, basically blast away the earth and tunnel through the earth and they use I assume they use Wonder Girl's Lariat to wrap up the rest of the Teen Titans crew and everybody kinda holds on and, and they they tunnel through the earth down down past the crucible and then back out some other side far away from the nowhere facility, basically burrowing below the power core explosion and out in another direction. And the Teen Titans surface on uh an island, it looks like a you know, uh, they basically surface on an island with beasts that look like dinosaurs and and other 
strange creatures and i guess we'll we'll see that in the next month's issue of a uh, teen titans yeah like i said for an excuse for him to draw more dinosaurs <laughs> right <laughs> but then we get to the um to the final well this is not i mean that's the end of the culling obviously yeah that's the end of the culling sorry everybody <laughs> <laughs> but uh but we can't uh we even though you know we discussed the culling we can't finish off without talking about you know one of the new additions the new 52 um which is the ravagers number 1 you know which all spills out from this big crossover that we just discussed and um this one you know has a uh, writer Howard Mackey uh in the lead with uh, artist Ian Churchill drawing it and um this title released on May 30th I have to say that I was really happy with the introduction of this title because after the the culling and how epic it was I mean this one picks up right where it leaves off from. We uh, we finally have uh, our favorite, you know, Caitlin Fairchild in the lead here. She's narrating their escape of the um, nowhere facility as they they literally blast out of the ground uh, with Thunder using his powers. And uh, we have you know Fairchild, uh, Thunder, Lightning, Terra, Beast Boy. And Ridge, along with some other uh, stragglers, coming out of the ground, uh, escaping the Norworth facility. You know, they, obviously, you know, they they come out and you know they kind of complaining. They're like, you know, did you bring us out here just to so we could freeze? You know, and you know, Caitlin's trying to figure out you know where they are. And uh, I have to I have to stop real quick and say that I love the the, the details that that uh, Ian and and Howard put in this issue because. We're used to Caitlin Fairchild basically, for all intents and purposes, she turned into her Hulk form or whatever, however you want to say it, in the original series and never changed back. She was always the hot, you know, tall, strong girl after that. Of course, she still had her nerdy side to her. Well, here they kind of go, they they have established that she can change back and forth. So I love that, uh, you know, when she's when she's uh, hulked out, I don't know how else to say it, um, <laughs> that <laughs> <Perfect>. she's, um, <laughs> that, that, you know, she's, she's, she's the traditional looking Caitlin in my, in, you know, in my eyes. And then when she shrinks down, let's just say all aspects of her shrink down <laughs> <laughs> and her costume gets very baggy again. I just thought that was a great little detail. Uh, we have a couple of the stragglers that I didn't realize till we were reviewing issue or the the Teen Titans annual, but uh, these these two characters were were listed in the notes in the back. It's um, uh, Windshear and Bright Eyes. Yep. Yeah, Bright Eyes was the one I was mentioning about the you know just the random cleavage <laughs> that she uh, pulls out when Windshear decides that he's taken off because of our, apparently you know his powers to fly. And I don't know if this was just her quick way of uh, convincing him to take her with him but yeah she's you know because they're just complaining about how cold it was so why would you unzip your suit even more or well, whatever so, so she takes off with him which i actually enjoyed that that uh you know that they don't all just team together and and like yeah we're gonna stick together and i mean th- this was a, a more real way to go and at first you know you're like well okay whatever those two weren't on the cover you know of course they're gonna take off well, then there's a uh, Howard Mackey throws another surprise in when when Beast Boy and Terra do the same thing, and that was kind of cool because you know obviously those two are on the cover, you know, so we know that they're part of the team. But again, it's just cool to see that um, that they're not agreeing right away to to stick together, and even after they leave, you know, Ridge, who just recently switched sides just for the sake of survival, basically, you know, is already unhappy with the way uh, Caitlin's. Uh, running things and you know she I love how she still has her inner monologue even while he has her by the throat <laughs> um, but just trying to remember like she says you know these are these are despite their powers you know they're still kids and they're still fragile so I still have to treat them you know that she basically comments to herself you know that she's the adult here which I thought was interesting that uh, I, I would hope that she's not too much older I remember I don't know if you remember, just kind of a quick side note, you know, back in the original run, Gen 13, leading up to Gen 13, 50, you know, it was, it was her uh, 21st birthday. Do you remember that? 
run. Uh, no, I uh, Gen thirteen is one of the only titles that I never got to read through completely. Still working on it. Oh, uh, okay. Well, just the basic idea was that uh, it was a three-parter written by Scott Lobdell, actually, uh, of her turning twenty-one, and it was this whole journey returning back to the the you know the Gen original Gen project. And all that, you know, and I remember people were like, why are you making Fairchild 21? You know, she's supposed to be a teenager. And so point is here, I hope she's at the very least not older than 21. <laughs> because, uh, I don't know, Caitlin Fairchild doesn't need to be old unless it's a future story. But, um, but yeah, so basically as they're, they're arguing, we have a, a pod, escape pod with some of the nowhere soldiers uh, burst through the ground. And, you know, of course, the kids are like ready to fight. And the soldiers are like, no, no, we're you know we're laying down our weapons. Look, we surrender, and and uh, Thunder and Lightning are the first to step up and be like, you know, just because you say you're sorry, basically doesn't mean we're going to forgive you for everything you did to us. And so they um, they uh, unleash their powers on these soldiers, and uh, much to Caitlin's horror. Meanwhile, uh, Windshear and uh, Bright Eyes are being pursued by a nowhere ship that apparently has uh Rose Wilson and Warblade in it cuz um why is it that um that the characters that always have the kind of just the so-so powers you know end up dying first you know bright eyes basically she looks like like her her eyes are basically high beams you know <laughs> it's like it you know tries to blind the ship and of course you know she can't hold her own against Warblade so he takes her out Rose Wilson goes and takes Windshear out and so we lose two of the characters who are not on the cover. Big surprise, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I was fine with that. I mean, you kind of had to have the cannon fodder because you had to show that... I mean, we already showed with Artemis and... Um, uh, who else died? Bryce. Uh, Bryce, yeah. Hunter Bryce. That, um, that, you know, there is some some fatalities, which is kind of sad when we take that lightly. But, um, you know, but back here, you know, Caitlin... It also, she establishes that... Um, she can only be in the form for a little bit at a time, otherwise it causes her pain. So she, throughout this issue, she goes back and forth several times uh, between her powers. And, you know, basically she uh, she gets in there and, and manhandles a couple of the, the the other kids like, you know, Ridge to get them to stop. And same thing with Thunder and... You know, she's finally getting him to calm down. You know, it's the whole, you know, don't don't become the monsters that these guys are, basically. And so she's waiting. She finally convinces them that she's got a plan and that she's waiting for a transport ship. And uh, for some reason, I don't know where the confusion was here, but the transport ship is the same one where Warblade and, uh, and Rose Wilson were on. I think she called it remotely and they jumped onto it or something. But, you know, we have a pretty dramatic crash here where... Of course, you know, doesn't take out Warblade and Rose. They just uh, they just come on out and just start killing more nameless warriors, including one here that I just realized looks kind of like Starfire. Did you see that one? <laughs> oh, yeah. And another one that just looks like an elf with purple hair. But yeah, they're just taking them out left and right. So so Caitlin finally gets Thunder to use his powers to cut a, a hole um, or a trench, I should say, between them and Rose and Warblade, and this causes them to go plummeting off a cliff. And that's the cliffhanger, literally, that we <laughs> leave on with the Ravagers. So uh, I thought it was an amazing first issue. I hope people pick that one up, because that uh, has, of course, our favorite C- Caitlin in it. So, all right, well, we run this a little bit long, so we'll just give you some quick summary thoughts about what we thought about these books, because I think I speak for both of us when I say that we did really enjoy this crossover. Am I right, Ben? Yeah, it was awesome. You know, I really enjoyed the entire thing. I liked how Harvest had a little bit of information for each of the teams and um, the team members every time he fought with, with each of them giving a little bit about their past uh, for us to read about. So, you know, normally you expect to learn some of those things in the regular issues, um, but not likely during a crossover. And that's really where we started to learn a lot about these, these kids themselves. So I thought that was really cool. And I think when they decide to pull all these together, if they do pull them all together as one big trade, maybe all the eights and the nines, as well as you know, maybe Ravager number one. It'll it'll read very well together, and I think that'd be 
pretty epic to read. Yeah, and no, I I agree, and, and I mean, unfortunately, you're probably going to stick to the format of where they're just you know doing the titles. But yeah, it'd be nice to get one that just focuses on these only because they really do feed into each other well. And I mean, it was just it was just a great crossover from start to finish. I mean, you had lots of action, and uh, you got to know the characters. I mean, the setup as simple as we talked about is just putting the the faces with the names on the first page. Simple, you know. Sometimes simple works. This was definitely a great crossover. Ravagers number one, you know, was a great first issue. It'd be interesting. I've tried to watch people's reactions, you know, who didn't follow the, cr- the culling, but maybe give Ravagers number one a try. It definitely throws you in the middle of everything, so it might throw you off a little bit. But hopefully, there's that sense of, um, you know, that you want to find out what happened and makes you go back and read the culling crossover. So, um, just overall, an amazing job, amazing collaboration between Scott Lobdell and Tom DeFalco and. And all the guys involved, because you could tell they've been working on this for months. Yeah, and the art, the art was pretty seamless across the board. You know, I didn't, nothing too jarring jumped out at me, and the, you know, the, the writing flowed throughout all the books and, and interwove, and I thought that was great. And one thing that I think is interesting, and I wonder if this was all of this came to a head just as sort of an excuse to um, remove. You know, the nowhere going after the Teen Titans and maybe Superboy and kind of redirect them into the new title of the Ravagers. As you can see that they're now being the ones chased um, by nowhere and Harvest. So maybe we'll see, you know, in Superboy and the Teen Titans some a completely new direction from when they started uh, the new 52 off. I don't know, just a thought. No, you're right. It has to do with dinosaurs. I already seen this list. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Anything else? Nope, that's it. We've taken this one kind of long, but like I said, that's why we decided to do this separate podcast, because this was a pretty epic crossover. So yeah, hope everybody gives it a try if you haven't already. Yeah, that's great. Go out and get them. Uh, and before we leave you, you know, we want to remind you, since we are still in June, you know, don't forget to pick up the Wildstorm-related titles, the number 10s in June. That's uh, Stormwatch, number 10, uh, Red Lantern's number 10, which uh, continues from Stormwatch, number 9, uh, Grifter, Demon Knights, the Ravagers number two, and also Voodoo number ten. And remember that all these books are available digitally the same day as the print release at the DC section of Comicsology.com or DCComics.com. Uh, quick shout-outs to uh, you know Chris Stryker is running the Stormwatch site, and uh, that's Stormwatch.ws. And obviously, continue to discuss all these titles with us at Comics Bar, uh, which is the Higher Authorities Message Boards. Uh, we have a link at our site, uh, but you can discuss all these titles amongst the longtime Wildstorm fans at uh, theauthority.ws. You can contact us, uh, me, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com backslash grifter78, or you can look us both up at the Wildstorm Resource Wiki, which is wildstormresource.wetpaint.com. <laughs> I will get through this episode. <laughs> and uh, you can look me up, grifter78, or Ben is yoyomaster146. Twitter for the podcast is twitter.com backslash wildstormaddict, or email us at wildstormaddiction at gmail.com, or a Facebook fan page or a Google Plus page. One last thing I will mention, which we didn't really cover, uh, Warblade is basically a villain now. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, that's, that's been established. <laughs> a lot of people are kind of split on that, but somebody brought up a good point. When Warblade exists in the old universe, he used to be part of Cyberforce's evil team called the Shock Troops or whatever, uh, Cyberdata was there. They created him and Ripclaw. So he kind of started as a villain in the old universe and then eventually became a hero. And, you know, he did a lot of stuff later that was kind of questionable, too. So uh, for him, I don't really mind that he's a villain. So just wanted to throw that in there. Just slip my mind when we're talking about him. Yeah, it's not a stretch. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys for uh, joining us on this uh, special edition. We hope you enjoyed it. I know it's a little bit outside of what we do on Wildstorm Addiction, but it does tie in a little bit. Caitlin's there. And Warblade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Fuji, who didn't have much to do, as Joe mentioned earlier, but hey. Hopefully he'll come back in the chase. All right, we'll see you guys in July. Bye.